This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Boy, what a what a week, right? And and uh, I think so much of what we're going to be holding today is what we've been holding throughout this crisis, which is both like a candid acknowledgement of all the challenges that so many people are facing, as well as unwavering hope. And then again, hope, I say it over and over again, but, but I know some of you on here, this will be the first time you've heard it, so important. Hope is love stretching into the future. You know, that's the hope we live into. That's the hope we dive into. That's the hope that we attempt to hold as best we can. In ways imperfect, of course, but that's what we're going to try to do. Again, looking at life squarely, what the challenges are, and at the same time, having in our heart this deep hope, born of God, that is love stretching into the future. So we're so glad you've joined us here today. I also want to give a a big shout out as well to to a couple of groups again and again that just have really been stepping up and it makes a huge difference. One is the tech people who have been showing up. We have a skeleton crew and and boy, we have some a small group of people who are showing up to try to do kids live, to try to do to try to do the Sunday service. There's a lot of flying around, a lot of last minute stuff that we're trying to make happen, and we just so appreciate, I personally so appreciate what they're doing because they're the ones who allow us to bridge out there and serve a much wider audience than we, than we usually could. And the other group I want to say thank you to especially are the small group leaders. Last week we had our first small group leader meeting, and we had 23 people on the call. You know, these are, these, you know, this is it. Like, I, I feel like so much of church comes down to those, those small groups, those connections, and, and, and the way we can connect and just support each other through times that, again, are, are, are very challenging in so many ways. And my last announcement before our first song here is we're also do- doing this during this service. We're going to be looking at the topic of solidarity. And in looking at the topic of solidarity, and some of you have already started doing this, I'd ask you to please text in to me a name of a loved one. A name of a loved one or a group that you would love held in prayer today. So I have a time to do that during the service. You don't need to do it this second. You'll see my my phone number will come up when it's that time. Uh, But then what we're going to do is we're going to actually read those names to close our service today. And today, you know, what we want to think about again is what we're thinking about as we get ready for Easter, this idea of solidarity. And I love this line from Psalm 5. It's what we've based this whole series on. I lay down and sleep, yet I will wake in safety, for the Lord is watching over me. What we're going to be doing, you know, for the overview for this particular service, we're going to be looking at the idea of outside the gates, a new view of forgiveness, and a new view of salvation. How do those two things go together? The first I want to look at, just, just what does it mean to be outside of the gates? What does it mean to be outside of the gates? And I'm talking here literally and figuratively because so much of this Easter story takes place outside of the gates. And, and again, in, in our culture, we don't have the historical knowledge to, to understand that maybe as deeply as these people did. But I think it's a really important concept to look at both literally and metaphysically. Like, what's the metaphor here? Now, if you think about what it meant to be inside the gates, this is a, this is a picture of Jerusalem today. You know, to be inside the gates, what did, what did that mean? And, and I think it meant this. You know, Jerusalem at that time, it literally was the center of this culture. 
not just the political center. I mean, it was that too. But it was the economic center, and it was the spiritual center. They had a much more embodied view of God at that time. In other words, like God literally inhabited certain places. And God was in certain places, and he wasn't in other places. He was inside the gates. He was not outside the gates. And again, that view, we, we see that far differently today. But back then, inside the gates, like, it meant safety, it meant security, and it meant salvation. It meant safety, it meant security, and it meant salvation. But that's not, I think, figuratively and literally, where transformation takes place. It doesn't take place usually in the places we feel safe the places where we feel secure, and the places where in our own mind we might feel saved. Where does it happen? Well, it happens outside of the gates. You look at this picture here, this map of, of, what, of, of Jerusalem at the time of the Easter story, and if you look up at the left, sort of at about, about 10 o'clock on the left there, you'll see the little dot that says Golgotha, That's where Jesus was crucified. And so much of the story is moving from there, from the inside of the city gates to the outside of the city gates, where it says Harris's palace and praetorium. That's where Jesus was tried, and then he's he's moved out there and executed. That idea of, of outside the gate, and it's the last thing we actually want, but that's oftentimes, that idea of moving outside the gates, is oftentimes where life goes where we feel like we've left those places that are safe, secure, and salvific. That is a big change that all of us wrestle with a great deal. I want to read for me now a a selection from from Luke 23. And the selection from from Luke 23, it's talking about these, these different views of forgiveness and salvation. I mean, that's what that's what we're seeing shift here. Different views of forgiveness and different views of salvation. Now, I'm reading Luke 23 here. And this is Jesus on his his way to the execution. Two men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, that's Golgoth up there on that map, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, as he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. This word saved again comes up. Are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal, and in religious circles, he's called the good thief, which is kind of a fun name. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's where Jesus makes this beautiful reference to heaven. 
Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. It's, it's interesting, folks, again, when we, when we can step back sort of, and this is sort of tricky, I think, when we can step back out of the Easter story to really see the power in it. So many of these words, if, if you were born and raised as a Christian, you've heard these words over and over again. And, and I find that, at least for me, so much of this time, this season, is about slowing down to really see the import and the power so deeply embedded in these words. Words that give us such a different view of what forgiveness and salvation really look like. Now, when you look at all the reactions that, that Jesus is facing at this time, all these were insults and rejections. He's not being comforted, at least in this part of the story, in this gospel account. There aren't words of comfort here. The words of rebuke, there's angry words, there's insults. It's a full kind of rejection. There's nothing of kindness here. But within those words of full rejection, within those words of full rejection, comes this incredibly beautiful line. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm going to say that again. So beautiful. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You think, folks, like, what's the world look like when we live there? I was talking to a dear friend, and, and she was mentioning, you know, a little dust-up that she had in a grocery store, out, out grocery shopping. And, and I'm sure there's been many of those, many, many of those. Little dust-ups over who gets what, or who stays far enough away, who does, all that, all that crazy stuff. And imagine our reaction to insults and anger, could just be, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Now, I don't think we can come to this in like, from the position that, that I am so privileged to be able to forgive other people who just so, by the way, God, don't know what they're doing. I think we say that of other people. Listen carefully, brothers and sisters. This is also a season where we say that of ourselves. Because we don't know what we're doing so much of the time. I mean, so much of the moments like this just, just at least for me, push me back into a, into a deep humility because I just am unsure how, how to move forward. And, and I'm sure you are too. And in family systems that at one moment you're, you're just, you know, it's a, it's a family movie night and it's great. And the next moment, it's not. It can even there, can we say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing or what they do. Father, forgive me, because I don't know what I'm doing either. And that word father there, this is such a significant word. The word father there is not a, a sort of a, a large um, statement, sort of a, 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 a father, you know, like, like way up there on high. Many of you know this, but it's worth repeating. The word father there is a colloquial term. Dad might be a better translation for today. That's how Jesus spoke of God in that way. Now, what about salvation? Well, salvation here, the, the, the idea of it is equally, 
the idea of salvation here is equally powerful, equally transformative. The salvation there, let's take a look at this. Look at this, folks. This is interesting, right? These lines. Let him save himself. And again, these weren't, you can't think of these lines of like, well, let Jesus save himself. These, these, were, these were mocking terms. These were said with a tone. These were said with anger. Let him save himself. Save yourself. Save yourself and us. Save yourself. Save yourself. Save yourself. And here's Jesus. Sitting in that place. Hearing that. Knowing he could do that at a physical level. But if he did that at a physical level, he would be establishing himself as a king of this world. Not as a king of the next. So much of this story is that confrontation with hopelessness and that understanding that, that as, we, as we face challenges in life, like sometimes things are hard and our job is to see it through, the whole way to see it through, knowing that there is a resurrection. But listen carefully. But rarely is it instantaneous. And that's what we want. We want kind of, if you're like me, we want that instant salvation. If I could end this crisis today, I would. I'm sure I speak for so many of you. But that's not how the world works. Things have time, and they have seasons, and they have durations, and they have waves and bell curves. They have all those things. And we need to have a faith that allows us to ride through these storms. We rarely get a faith where all of a sudden there's an instant quelling of the storm. It doesn't tend to be how it works. There's something to that, folks, when we learn to engage with the challenges of our life and to see it the whole way through. Because it's so easy, literally, to think, if I just want to get myself off the hook. But there's a divine and holy patience here. Again, a willingness to see it through. A willingness that actually is part of this glorification process, Lord God, Savior, Jesus Christ, where the human and the divine come together. We see that in this one loving voice of rebellion. The good thief. It's fascinating that that this is the voice, like, Here's the save us, save us, save us, save us, save us, save us. All this mocking. They've, they've taken Jesus' robe and they're, they're sort of dividing it into pieces. And, and the mocking and the, and the cruelty of it all. And, and here's this one voice of rebellion. This one voice of rebellion. And what does that voice say? That voice says this. It doesn't say, save yourself. It says, remember me. 
Just mouth those words with me, folks. Save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. Remember me. Save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. Remember me. That has an incredibly deep humility to it. And I was thinking back hearing one pastor talk, and it was, it was a very famous pastor from down in Atlanta named Andy Stanley. And Andy Stanley was talking, and, and this woman was asking him sort of, well, what one question would you ask God? And, you know, for a lot of people, they, they might ask the question, you know, I, I would think he would say something like, well, why is there suffering in the world? Why is there disease even today? Why is there corona? But that's not what Andy Stanley said he would ask. He would ask the question, I think this is the question we're all to ask. God, how do I become a vehicle of your will? Even here. Not the why question, but the how question. How do I become, God, a vehicle of your will here? Think about what that means for you. Think about how that resonates in your heart. Think about ways you might be called. Like, again, how do I do that? How do I act in your will here? That, I think, folks, is a whole new view of salvation. It's not what we're demanding of God to save us. We're journeying with God in service, however that looks. And what we find there, I believe, brothers and sisters, is this incredibly powerful, powerful idea of solidarity. Solidarity. And notice, I want to come back to something here. I think in some ways, solidarity is easy to find inside the gate. That place where we're safe, secure, and quote-unquote saved. That kind of solidarity is easy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who faced Hitler, who was who was actually executed in a concentration camp for, for his role in trying to depose Hitler. He said he considered that kind of grace. He had this beautiful line for it. He called it cheap grace. The solidarity we're talking about here is solidarity that is found outside of the gates. It's found in the struggle. It's found in those places that actually aren't safe. It's found in those places that actually aren't secure. It's found in that place where that whole idea of saved changes and shifts. That place of salvation that's, that's connected directly with a brand new view of forgiveness is it's almost too incredible to imagine. And that none of us, I think, in this life practice perfectly. But God's intent, as always, is to move us towards that intention. 
that solidarity, folks, occurring outside the gates, is what I think times like this call us towards. And maybe see that a little clearly. What I'm going to ask you to do is to take 60 seconds here. Take a breath. And think about who you would like us to pray for today. We're just going to hold their names. I'm going to be, you know, finishing up the service here, and then we're actually going to close the service just saying their names so that we can just hear that. Like the name from a new church perspective is the quality of a person. And that's what we're just going to do. We're going to hold the quality of these people. Delivering our best intentions on God's behalf just, just to have a part where we hold them. So please, take 60 seconds, text in an answer to me. Who is someone you would like us to hold in prayer today? Just to offer some, some thoughts here. This solidarity, folks, that we find outside the gates. I don't believe it's a solidarity, and I want to read some notes here because I think it's real important to remember. It's not about solutions, miraculous redemption, or magical thinking. It's not about solutions, miraculous redemption, or magical thinking. That's a very different form of solidarity. Solidarity, folks, and this is, this is so much the trick, I think, in times like this, and, and I need to admit that I do it imperfectly, and please, if I do it imperfectly with you, please let me know. I see so much of the time solidarity, if we have somebody who's in a challenging place, and some people are in deeply challenging places, we can see our job as to cheer them up. Now, is there anything wrong with cheering people up? No, obviously not. And we still want to be careful. Because sometimes, if we're too much trying to cheer people up, all that is doing is drawing us further and further away from them. Where the reality is, what we're trying to do is draw closer to them. To join with them in those challenges, to join with our communities in their pain. To join with. This is something I was struggling with this morning, trying to think through, and, and, and I don't know quite how to do it. But I was talking to a dear friend, and, and, and this is something we're going to be picking up the ball and running with, but it's a question I want to start putting out there into the universe. And it's connected to solidarity. And the question is this. What are we being invited to? What are you being invited to? Now that is one sober invitation, brothers and sisters. It's a sober invitation. It's not an invitation to a big party or dinner out yet. But there's an invitation there that I feel like we have to open our hearts to. We have to wrestle with that question. I'm hoping to wrestle with that question with, with you folks as, as we move forward with this. Like, what's the invitation?
What's the world we're called to create? We are right now outside of the gates. Safety, security, old views of salvation, largely challenged. And maybe something, maybe, something if we can lean towards it, something that will teach us about forgiveness and solidarity and hope in its deepest form. Where maybe we learn with this new solidarity a, a, a with. And again, like this with folks knows, here's somebody who's really struggling, and our job is not to distance ourselves by trying to cheer them up, but to join with and the opposite works as true as, as well. Like, some people are doing well. And our job is not to say, wait, you don't get it. <laughs> we need people here. And we need people here. And we need to be able to embrace both. That's solidarity. It's humble. It's sober. It listens far more than it speaks. It's able to say that, folks, and like, think of this. Our pain. Think of the, think of the crosses here. Our pain. Joined with God's pain. And not a demand, save us, save us, save us. But a heartfelt plea. Remember me, God. Remember me. Let's just pray that together for just a second, folks. Just take a breath. And just say from your heart, Remember me. Remember me. That's where we understand one of the most significant points, I think, about pain. All spirituality comes down to what we do with our pain, largely. What do we do with our pain? And we always have this choice, as pointed out by many great spiritual thinkers, of either our pain will be transformed, and if we choose not to allow it to be transformed, it will be transmitted. Scapegoating is what we might call that. Victimization might be what we call that. Our job is to allow God to transform the pain so that we don't transmit it. Humility underneath that line, remember me, I think points us in that direction. And it's where we find transformation at that weakest point. Where we find transformation at that weakest point. Walking through forgiveness. Walking through a new view of forgiveness. 
embracing the humility underneath those words, remember me. What does that maybe look like? Well, I've seen it many times. I've seen people, as of you, outside the gates for whatever reason, outside of what is safe and secure. And somehow, again and again, I see people finding solidarity. I've seen it, you've seen it. We know that. Our job too is to, at times like this, to embrace it as best we can. We can embrace it too when we simply look at snowdrops. The little signs of spring that are all around us. That are just that reminder of the transformation that happens at the edge of winter. That happens maybe figuratively outside the gates. It doesn't mean that we look at times like this and we think, oh, isn't this terrific? It's not. It means we look at times like this and we look at it for what it is. And brothers and sisters, we look at it from what we can be what we can be here and now to each other, to our families, to the community, to the world. Receive forgiveness and salvation in totally new ways. Our call right there. Now the solidarity we want to close with are these beautiful names. And again, folks, if I butcher some of these names, my apologies. And if I I don't get to all the messages, you know, I I will definitely get back and pray for them later. I pray for Stacy and her family. Lana, our family's frontline warrior as an inner-city hospital ER trauma nurse. Debbie. Regina. Krista. Alana asked me to pray for all her friends with special needs. Brittany and her co-workers. My grandmother, Victoria. Grammy and Papa. Bill, my children, their families, my loving family. Please pray for my Uncle Rick, who had a small stroke not long ago. From Anne, the nurses, the doctors, the nurse practitioners, the physician assistants, and the staff working to save lives and comfort those whose lives are lost. Our world leaders, Abby Schultz. Oh, it is so good to hear from you folks. Billy Squires. My dog. The president. All medical workers, including my husband, Greg, who was working in the new COVID ICU wing. 
my mom. Stacy Carr, Miriam Sinisbet, Brian Schwartz, Tony Kuiper, Stacy Carr, Diane, who is living with and taking care of her failing age 92 mother, Jonathan, Stacy, and all her and carried loved ones, Joseph Leonzi, Hannah, Brenda, my brother Michael and all his struggles. Joseph, Stacy, the frontline staff at Abington Hospital. Don Sanford, Stacy, Brittany, Teresa, Jacob, Brittany Childs, Sharon Youngie, Tom and Sue McGrath, Fred and Justine Plefka, Rich and Jolene Troilo, Douglas Sitvarn, Michael Bravo, Evan Sussman, Dale and Flo Lutton, Corey and Kayla, my mother, Janet, Stacy Carr, Will Frecht, Fecht, Angela Fecht and Julia Fecht, all physicians in Indiana. They are my nieces and nephew working every day in the hospital. Cody Johnson, a young man in his 20s who's battling cancer. The people, families, and medical caregivers directly impacted from this virus. The cure and the people working on it. Mankind and the will to go through this. Our son and daughter-in-law, Arlon and Morgan McCardle. Morgan is a frontline nurse working for COVID-19 patients at St. Joseph Mercy Hospital in Oakland County. As you can imagine, we are worried about them and praying for the well-being. Also grateful for their dedicated service. A couple other ones just came in. Stacy, the nurses at Holy Redeemer, especially Amanda, in the nursery floor at the hospital. Folks, we can just sit there. That's solidarity. That's what we're being asked to do. It's that sitting with. It's that, again, a time we learn it in a different way because, again, there's not safety, there's not security, there's not salvation as we might have seen it in our old, in our old way of seeing things. It's where we learn something. A sober lesson, granted, but a, but a solidarity, I think, that serves us so incredibly well in our lives. So I close with this, brothers and sisters. Somewhere, find a way to just write that word solidarity. Hold that as your prayer this week. If you feel called to reach out to people who you're trying to create that with, please do. 
It's that creating of solidarity that starts to weave a much, 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 much tighter fabric of community together. And it remembers this. Do you know what Jesus' final temptation of the cross was? I love this part of New Church Theology. The last temptation of Christ was hopelessness. He overcame that. Brothers and sisters, if that's your battle today, you can. We can, too. Amen. We're now going to say a final prayer. And then Marcus is going to come up for a final song on choosing love. So please join me for a last prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. Thank you for bringing us here together. Thank you for the amazing people who've joined us this morning. Help us, Lord, to connect with that message of love, grace, and hope, and specifically, the message of solidarity. The message of solidarity. Allow us, Lord, to draw closer to one another. Allow us, Lord, to hold those names and those people in our prayers. Bless their ways, Lord. Bless this community, bless this nation, bless this world. And hear our tender prayer. And now we'll have a last closing song from Marcus. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 